they are easy, but because they are hard. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. A date which will live in infamy. I still have a dream. Good night and good luck. Hey, 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 this is Chase Geyser with J.R. Majewski on the One American Podcast. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? You sure did, man. All right. Now, what is that, Polish? It is Polish, yeah. Man, you got you got a Polish name with the word Jew in it, so that yeah. must have been a hell for your family in the in the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know. Actually, the name is pronounced Majewski, the correct pronunciation, but I always go uh, by Majewski. And yeah. uh, when you break it down, it actually means that it was a Polish Jew I gotta look. I'm I'm doing it backwards here. Polish Jew that came to the United States in the month of May. Really? Yeah. So is that's is that actually the history? You're just making that up? No, I'm serious. You can you can Google. So do you know what your your family's name was before you uh, set foot in the United States? Well, no. Um, And here's the here's the ringer. Um, And I'm actually not Polish. Uh, My father's stepfather is Polish. So oh, I see, I see. I was, uh, but there's certain, there's something to say um, with nature versus nurture because you know I was raised Polish and I didn't know that I wasn't Polish until I was about 16 years old. So really, yeah, yeah. So have you ever thought about doing 23 and Me and getting to the bottom of it? I have. I yeah. Have. Did you do it? Yes, I did. I What'd did. You discover uh, if, if you don't mind sharing. I oh, it was fascinating when I did. Um, so here's a few things I discovered. This is going to sound like a wild story, but it's true. Um, I found out that my biological grandfather is the original secretary of the Hells Angels. That is awesome. And uh, yeah, he's um, mentioned in uh, Sonny Barger's book. And uh, I um, met his granddaughter and um, sent photos of me. And then um, she didn't respond for about two weeks because uh, the photos that I sent, he had died about two weeks before I contacted oh. her. And um, her grandmother saw the photos and um, absolutely had like a, you know, I guess a, a re- another, another series of mourning because I look so much like him. And then she sent me a bunch of photos, a bunch of the photos of him, you know, in, in California and, the you know, back when uh, the Hells Angels were created. And, uh, yeah, it was a pretty cool experience. How long ago was it that they were formed? Um, I would have to say in the 60s, I believe. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. I don't yeah. know much about them. All I know is that they got a bad rap from um, Woodstock, and that Sons of Anarchy was really cool. <laughs> yeah, and I know they were highly patriotic. You know, so yeah, maybe that's yeah. genetic. But I'm actually so my my um, my legitimate uh, genealogy is Scottish, Hungarian, yeah. Irish. Yeah, you, you look German. like a Scot. I mean, you yeah. look kind of like you could have popped right out of Braveheart. You know. Yeah. I look like a chubby Conor McGregor. (laughs) Didn't get dressed up for nothing. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) That's like my favorite line in the movie. (laughs) So, but you know, um, when people say, "What? What are you?" Um, I'm a yeah. That's what. Yeah, that's kind of why I started this whole podcast. It's like, what are you heritage wise? What's your political affiliation? What you know? And I just got sick of answering those questions, and that's Mm -hmm. why I am one American. You know, exactly. That's kind of the idea behind it. So. Um, I looked you up a little bit before we did this podcast. You're the dude with the lawn. Yes, I'm the dude with the lawn. So tell me about that story. Did you get to meet the pre- meet the president over the lawn thing? Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, so what happened for those of the listeners that don't know what the hell's going on? All right. So, so I'll take you back to 2019. In 2019, so I'm a military veteran. And, Thank um, you for your service. Oh, you're welcome. And, uh, you know, in, uh, in 2019, I decided to support a veterans organization that um, works with wounded veterans. And um, it's the wounded, wounded Warriors Project, or no, no, it's a, it's a, it's Ohio based, and it's actually veteran ran. It's not even, I mean, they're not even a, a lot. They're not a very large organization. They tend to, they're, they're very close knit, uh, smaller group, but very, very effective. Um, so what they do is they'll take folks that are, are veterans that are handicapped. You should, it, you should name drop them by the way, in case this goes viral. They don't, they, they, they secret. Yeah. They don't, they don't want to okay. be, um, out there. got it. Yeah. Got it. Just didn't want you to bite. Didn't want you to pitch yourself later for, no, no, they love me and everything. They just don't, <laughs> okay. they don't want any new friends. Um, I understand. And they, they know how to find the veterans that are wounded. So, or, or, you know, disabled. So, um, they'll essentially, you know, let's say for example, you've lost a limb, um, they'll have a veteran go with you on a hunt, depending on what game you'd hunt, say it's deer or duck or what have you. And that veteran will play whatever role that you need, you know, to facilitate a successful hunt. So uh, for example, if you lost a leg, you know, they'll help you, uh, they'll, they'll get you back into a hunting location, into a blind, you know, with a four wheeler or with some type of an all-terrain vehicle. They'll help you clean and dress the, the game. They'll help you process it and they'll help you get home. And so, Awesome. Long story short, my wife and I decided to uh, support them, and uh, we're one of their biggest donors. And um, they were coming up a little short on a fundraiser uh, for their big hunt of the year, which is deer season, um, obviously, which starts in like November. October is when they start going out and they start laying all their, you know, their grounds. They'll put their salt things out and all the other things for the deer. And so um, this at, at this time, this is when Colin Kaepernick and all the other bougie NFL players decided that, uh, you know, the national anthem wasn't good enough for them. And they started taking knees. So um, I do something very big on the 4th of July every year. And um, I decided and I, I actually wagered them a bet. If they could break their fundraiser fundraising goal, I would match my original donation and I would paint the largest um, American flag they'd ever seen. So the long story short is they 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 met the, met their fundraiser fundraiser and I painted a huge um, old glory flag on it's actually the Calpins flag it's the flag 13, before the glory. thirteen stars it's 12, 12, um, 12 in, in circumference one in the center um, okay. I painted that as a slight to the media because they were going after the flag and I knew that the media would come to my house and and you know freak out about it being a a um, Betsy Ross flag and right I just wanted to. Sh- Kind of, it was a, it was a, a slight slight on my part because I know they don't understand, you know, they don't know the lineage of our American flag. So it's actually the flag before, but um, I made uh, Ripley's, believe it or not, uh, the largest um, Betsy Ross flag ever painted. And um, so for 2020, I posed the same goal to them, and this time I was going to do the POW MIA flag and I was totally prepared to do it because I know these guys are going to, they're going to, they're going to beat the fundraiser because they love seeing me out there, you know, 90 degree heat with a, with a paint sprayer. And so um, I, at the, at, essentially at the 11th hour, I got a call from the company that sells the paint and they explained to me that it would be a bad idea for me to paint my lawn black because it would essentially kill, you know, my, my grass entirely. Well, that and, was nice of them to tell you that instead yeah. of just selling you the paint. Yeah. Well, and they also knew, you know, the fact that I 
you know, my wife wasn't extremely happy with me for painting it the year before and they were looking out for me. So, um, that left us with about two days to go and we needed to find, you know, an object to paint. And we went back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, at this point in time, um, just like the year before, there was some, there was some, uh, you know, pop culture and, and confrontational things out in society, if you will. And the, the topic of that was your, you know, people that supported president Trump. So me being the guy that likes to, you know, swim against the waves, uh, I brought up the idea of doing the Trump 2020 campaign logo. And at first everybody thought, Oh man, no way. You know, it's going to cause a bunch of trouble. And That's that, the was, point. That, that was just more inspiration for me to do it. So yeah, I ended up, uh, so I painted the Trump 2020 logo and then the veterans organization, a bunch of other people started calling the local media and my neighbors started calling the local media. Next thing you know, I'm on Fox and friends. And then I'm on, you know, some Lund paper in London. I'm, you know, just kind of doing this little, you know, local and national tour of, hey, crazy guy, why'd you paint your lawn? You can't love Trump that much. So that's oh, my story. Man. That is that is an awesome story. So yeah. how, how did you get to how did you get to meet Trump out of the out of the, the yard thing? So he was watching Fox News when I was live. <laughs> and he, you. he sent a tweet. Yeah, he sent a tweet. And then um, Don Jr. saw it. He sent a tweet. Uh, Mike Huckabee, you know, you name it. Mike Huckabee was on the actually on the uh, segment after me. And, um, you know, it, it, it essentially if the president wants to get a hold of you, he, he does. So, yeah, um, he ended up uh, sending me VIP tickets to one of his rallies uh, locally here in Toledo. Um, he asked me to, you know, attend a couple different rallies. I drove in his motorcade. Um, instead of just going and showing up, I wanted to do some work. So I drove the motorcade. I drove the news media around. Um, and then, um, I decided based on the, you know, recognition and the, you know, at one point in time, I had about a hundred thousand followers on Twitter and, um, got a really good, I would say a base, if you will, out of that. So yeah. I decided to use that positively to help local Republicans and national Republicans. And so, um, I maintained my lawn throughout the entire election season. So from July 4th through actually mid October, I had painted it every other week. And wow. yeah, I spent so how did, did you lose? Did they ban you? Um, no, they started, uh, banning, a, you know, just tons of people that had supported Trump or said anything, wow. you know, outside of the norm. And, uh, yeah, so you got lost a lot of followers when they did the purge, basically. Yeah, and then a bunch of people just left Twitter altogether. So you know, wow. um, when when all you know other other things came up like Gab and and um, what the mm -hmm. Parler and all the other um, for platforms came out, a lot of people decided that they had enough and they just left. So, yeah. but but after that, I um, I decided to well, actually, I was asked to speak at a uh, Trump rally. Um, like a lower level rally for uh, a back the blue. I spoke there. I was the keynote speaker. And then um, I met the state rep and a bunch of other folks from the Trump team. And I brought up the idea of having a Trump watch party at my home. And essentially if you were, uh, you know, involved with Trump's campaign they would allow you to have Trump victory events. And if you did, they would send you memorabilia and things like that to, you know, to give out to people. And so I did that uh, three times. I rented a, a 30 foot uh, Megatron NFL style TV. I rented a huge concert stage and I had a couple guys come out with their food trucks 
and I had over a thousand people on my yard three times. I was the largest Trump watch party victory event in the state of Ohio uh, in the 2020 election cycle. So uh, President Trump got a kick out of that. And, you know, I spent about 60 grand doing all this stuff last year out of my own pocket, wow, didn't charge anybody man. a dime. And, you know, when uh, when I watched the election and the results and when, you know, they had the stop the steal rally, I um, got back on Twitter and I leveraged my base again. I raised about thirty thousand dollars and I took close to 100 um, wounded veterans or supporters of the president that weren't uh, that didn't have the financial means. Um, I took them to Washington, D.C. on January 6th. So. And wow. so, you, so did you get did you get a call on uh, uh, from the FBI about being there? Yeah. Yeah. But were you scared? No, no, I didn't do Did anything wrong. In? No, absolutely not. Did you I know were, that you weren't supposed to go in or were you under the impression that you could have if you wanted to and just decided not to? I don't think I even considered it in the moment. I was more <laughs> worried about the guy who died. Um, oh, Ashley Babbitt? Or? No, there was a gentleman that had a heart attack. I didn't know that. That's. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to hear that. Mm. And we had a, a guy that he wasn't in my group, but the guy passed away from a flashbang. If you if you want, if you look at my Twitter, you'll see the videos that are posted. Oh my god! So, um, so, so that's there's another casualty that just doesn't get reported. No, it's reported. It's reported. I don't know how they reported it. I don't know how they, um, you know, I don't know how they categorize his death. But in my experience, um, the flashbang was shot by Capitol Police into the crowd in a very irresponsible way. And he went into cardiac arrest because of that flashbang. But, you know, who am I to say that? But I had wasn't a, even breaking the law, right? He was just outside the Capitol. And they flashbang. Yeah, they, they were all we were all outside. There was no violence until that flashbang. And then you'll see by the video that I posted on Twitter, there was no violence until after that flashbang. The crowd got riled up because the police were using less than less than lethal force on us when, you know, there was no really no means, no, no reason to do so. Um, not beyond the capacity that they already had. I mean, other than the intimidation factor that there's 4 million people walking up to the building and there's only, you know, 50 Capitol Police, um, but that's just an optic, right? So after that flashbang, um, that's when people started to get a little bit rowdy. And then, you know, the gentleman went into cardiac arrest. We People tried helping him. It was ineffective. I had a lady that was with me that was, you know, in her, in her 50s, late 50s. She fell down, broke her um, like her wrist and then dislocated her knee. And, you know, I had a lot of people that were, um, you know, not physically, you know, a hundred percent physically able. They weren't, you know, they weren't able to, to run or, or do certain things. I mean, they were elderly or they had been injured in, 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 mil- in their military service. So, you know, it, it was a, it was a challenge for us, but, you know, we were there to peacefully protest the election. I mean, no, nothing other than that. Mm-hmm. But I work in the nuclear industry, so I've been in the nuke industry since, you know, right after the service. So and I have an active FBI clearance. Right. So it's pretty easy for me to understand where I stand with the FBI. And, you know, I I immediately when I got back home, I did what I should do as a responsible citizen. And I made sure that I cleared everything and, you know, what video and photos I had. I submitted, you know, did all the other law abiding things. Um, to Do you think the FBI was clear. involved in some of the illegal activity? I mean, there was that controversial, uh, uh, I think it was Revolver News. I had um, Darren Beatty on the, uh, Beatty or Beatty, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but I had him on the podcast, and yeah. he's the founder of Revolver News. And um, they covered that story that said, you know, that there were a lot of agents that, from the FBI that were involved in January 6th that, you know, were in, also involved with the, the Gretchen kidnapping yeah. controversy. Um, do you think the FBI had something to do with instigating January 6th, or do you think that they were just 
you know, I'd be, I'd be hard, I'd be hard pressed to say, yeah, I think that as a matter of fact, um, uh-huh. I think it just, it, it resonates with me just like the election. Um, I think there's a lot of things that were extremely dubious, you know, that, and then that left the American population curious. And I think Congress failed in doing their jobs by eliminating, you know, any suspicions that we had. Um, I certainly think that the videos that I saw of a few gentlemen that were known to be FBI agents and, you know, the video of folks in the crowd trying to, you know, incite, um, you know, physical violence and protest, physical protest. I certainly think that those individuals look alike, but I haven't done, you know, my due diligence to, you know, give myself the confidence to say that I firmly believe, but where there's smoke, there's fire. And there's a lot of smoke, a lot of smoke. And I definitely want to talk about your election, so I promise we're going to get to it. No, no um, problem. But I wanted to ask you if you um, did you have you ever feared that you were going to lose your clearance because of your political positions? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm I have a very good reputation in the industry. I have a very good working relationship with, you know, with with my company and throughout the industry. Um, I'm a young leader in the nuclear industry, um, so I have you know I've I've worked um, my way into you know, what I have today. And, and, uh, and I think that there's years and years of, of, of legacy of, you know, what I've brought to the industry, what I've brought to the people that I've worked with that, that significantly override, uh, you know, my political feelings. And, you know, I, I've always been in a, you know, in, in the majority of my professional career, I, I, I was promoted very quickly at a very young age. I've managed a lot of big projects, a lot of uh, large portfolios, and uh, I've had the opportunity to lead people that were much, much my senior. And um, you know that was a challenge in itself. But you know the strategy that I that I implemented to get those folks to like me and to accept me as their leader, you know, really built a foundation for the future. Where you know I never um, expressed my political beliefs at work because I was the leader. Leaders don't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't impress those things upon folks. But I was the vent path for frustrated employees that I was the guy that they could come to talk to. And, you know, part of the reason that I was inspired to paint my lawn and show my, um, you know, my my support of the president was because of all the things that I had dealt with, at, you know, at a professional level. And I can tell you that um, many, if not almost all of my friends or, or work associates, once they realized that I supported President Trump, that really changed their minds on him as well. And they started to, to look into him, um, with, with a different perspective because they found themselves at a grounds where it's like, you know, I've known JR for, you know, 10, 15, five years. He's been a solid stand-up guy. You know, he's been a great leader, a supportive person. How could he support this misogynist, this racist, this, you know, terrible traitor, all these other things that the left-wing media placed upon him. And, you know, because of the reputation that I had with those folks, you know, that opened their minds. And, and I have a lot of friends that have come to me and, and have and, and they're all, all backgrounds, all diversities, all ethnicities that have come to me and said, you know, I really thank you for what you did. You stood up, you know, you broke what they called the silent majority and you gave us hope and inspiration and you changed our minds at the ballot box. So, you know, if, at the end of the day, I made those veterans happy. But once I made Fox News, I thought to myself that if I can inspire one guy or one lady to wear their Trump shirt on Jeans Friday to work, I did my job. And it just evolved into what it is today, which is you know me running, running for Congress. So let me ask you, 
If you don't mind, can I tell you what my opinion is on nuclear, and then you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong, and yeah. I will believe, and I will believe you, sure. okay? Because you're an expert, and I'm not. So I wouldn't call me an expert, but well, it seems to me that um, that nuclear energy is incredibly safe and clean. One hundred percent. But that um, my concern is that I don't trust government to properly run or maintain the facilities to, to keep it that way because of like Chernobyl, for example. And I know with the RBMK reactors, there were mm -hmm. some unique conditions sure. that catalyzed what happened at Chernobyl. And mm -hmm. then we don't have facilities like that in the United States or mm -hmm. wouldn't that use the cheaper materials that allowed those nuclear reactions to happen. But it seems to me that the incompetence of government is such that something like nuclear is probably not something a state could run. Now, I think the private industry could probably do it, but um, or the, the, the private market rather. But I don't know. So can you, can you tell me what, whether or not you think I'm right or wrong about that? And like I said, I will believe you. <laughs> I, think you're, I, I think you're right about uh, you know, nuclear being inher inherently safe. Um, nuclear is one of the most heavily scrutinized uh, industries. Mm -hmm. it, it is the safest, be it from a reactivity management standpoint or through a defense in-depth public safety standpoint. But even if you look at it from an occupational safety standpoint, nuclear workers have... Um, some of the most prolific and, and, and greatest uh, safety statistics that you'll see. And I'll give you an example. If you're working, we're working on a job, and you're walking through the plant, if you're not wearing your gloves in an area where you're supposed to wear your gloves, you'll get fired. If you're not wearing your safety glasses in an area where you're supposed to be wearing your safety glasses, you'll get fired. If you get injured on the job, even if it's you stub your toe, if you if you have to go see and seek medical attention, the entire sites will do what they call a stand down. And what they'll do is they'll say, hey, look, Chase was walking through the plant today. He stepped over a barricade. He tripped on a cord, fell. He's fine. But, you know, what's the what's the lessons learned from this? Well, pay attention to where you're at. Situational awareness. If you see signs, you see barriers, make sure that you're navigating those barriers in accordance with, you know, proper protocol. And so nuclear has this layered approach to safety not only for the workers but for what's in that reactor and now to your point about who can manage it i think nuclear belongs in the private sector absolutely um, there are examples here in the united states where um, the government actually manages nuclear reactors and that's in tennessee with tennessee valley authority now they're one of the highest performing um, nuclear utilities in the country and actually their chief nuclear officer his name is don mall um, he used to be my boss when i worked here Locally not to be confused with Darth Maul. No, not uh, maybe. I think if he paints his face, he might look like him a little bit. But Don's, Don's a great guy, young man, a um, little bit older than me. Um, he's he's you know a fantastic leader, and um, you know Tennessee Valley Authority is is ran pretty well now. If you recall, President Trump had an issue with their CEO, or you know the last you know, during his presidency, and he actually tried to fire him. I don't remember the reasons why, but you know, be it what it may. Um, nuclear is very safe. I can tell you right now, if a disaster happened in this area, the first place I would want to be is the nuclear power plant. And I can see it from my, from my, from my dock. And wow. you know, I, I, it is That's one of, it is very, very safe. Did very you watch safe. the Chernobyl series on HBO? I did. I did. What do you think? I was surprised um, that any major mainstream network did an anti-communist show, which major, I thought basically a lot was. of, a, a lot of embellishment. Um, mm, okay. I can't really give you perfect examples, but I can tell you that my company is the company that is responsible for the encapsulation of, of Chernobyl. Um, mm. We actually perform the, the that current the, the current encapsulation. It's done now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 done now, um, and 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 also you know removing all the spent nuclear fuel. So 
the owner of my company owns the patents for that. And, you know, I, I work on a day to day basis with the scientists and the, you know, very intelligent experts who, who perform that work. And, uh, you know, Chernobyl is, is, a, is an issue again with the RMBK reactors. Fukushima, on the other hand, you know, that's an issue with, you know, the Japanese style, not necessarily the style reactors, but their, you know, their backup safety systems. Um, as a matter of fact, because of uh, Fukushima, all of the reactors in the United States, active reactors underwent a study and they're planning for what they call here a hundred year storm. So example, this plant here on Lake Erie has mechanisms in place to face a, you know, a 30 foot wave that would come off Lake Erie in the case of this, you know, uh, 100 year storm never will happen, never has happened, but that's the type of deployment of safety features and, and, and safety nets and defense in depth that, the um, Nuclear Regulatory Commission will impose on the private sector. Now, one would say that sounds fantastic. That's great. But I can tell you every plant doing a $15 million upgrade on a system that they, you know, is highly likely, unlikely to fail because we're not on an island. Um, it, it can be, you know, straining on, you know, on the private sector. And that's the one thing that I think that you see in, in almost every industry is government overreach. So yeah. you know, it, it is pretty tough, um, but you're right on when, when you said, you know, that uh, nuclear power belongs to the private sector, without a doubt. Interesting. So why is it, and I assume this is bullshit. If it's not, I don't care. But why is it that when I Google you, it says that you're a QAnon enthusiast? It says that because, you know, I've... <laughs> It says that because I've, I've, you know, you can look me at, look, watch the videos. You know, I've been on some podcasts with folks that were, you know, that, that, that believed in QAnon. They read the, whatever the forums were, you yeah. know, um, a good friend of mine, he runs his own podcast. Um, I would equate him to, you know, um, you remember Art Bell? He would be on the radio. He, he would interview people familiar. on AM radio. They believe in Bigfoot and aliens and all that stuff. Oh, is he the coast to coast guy? Yeah, coast to coast. There yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my buddy Zach, he's kind of like Art Bell. You know, he 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 doesn't prescribe to their thoughts, but he doesn't chastise them for thinking the way that they think. Yeah, um, well, I feel so, that way too. Yeah. Well, well, a friend of mine had come to me after I was on Fox News and said, "Hey, you got to go on this guy's show." You know, me being me, um, I didn't care how many followers he had. I didn't, I didn't care about any of that stuff. Come to find out, he has, you know, close to 500,000 subscribers on YouTube. He's got a big, nice show. You know, he's interviewing a whole bunch of people. Well, Media Matters had a little thing for him. And, you know, the minute I went on his show, you know, they started calling me a QAnon supporter and all these other things. Mm. I had no idea what it meant. I didn't know anything about it. And, um, but I'm not going to denigrate anyone that, that believes in it. I mean, you know. But, uh, you know, the there's a couple um, uh, candidates on the Democratic side that are running against Jim Jordan. They saw me um, out and about with Jim Jordan at a couple of dinners, and they decided that the one way to get to Jim Jordan was called J.R. Majewski, a QAnon guy. And they did the same thing last week when I, you know, was at a fundraiser with Marjorie Taylor Greene. It's, it's low-hanging fruit. They think that it, uh, you know, it's something they can go after me, but... You'll never hear me. You, there's no recorded audio. There's no videos of me saying that, you know, but I will say that I know people that still believe in QAnon, right? They, they, sure. I don't. Well, talk I think it's a product of the fact that we've been lied to so repeatedly by the political class and the corporate media yeah. that, you know, I, I, I don't know if I tweeted it or not, but it's saved in my drafts. Um, I was going to tweet something to the effect of, listen, if, if we weren't lied to so much, we wouldn't have nearly as many conspiracy theories. 
Right. Like people would just buy the narrative, you know, like, right. like there was a time when everybody trusted what they heard on the news, sure. rightfully or wrongfully. And no one doubted that we landed on the moon until later when, you know, you know, it's, until you couldn't trust anything. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, I, I've used that uh, statement before. I mean, you know, I, I, I same, um, with, same with the election stuff. The, people, yeah. the reason people doubted is because when was the last time the mainstream narrative was the truth? Right. Exactly. And, you know, I, I, um, I convinced my mother to vote Republican for the first time in her life. Okay. Um, and as a matter of fact, at one point in time, that was like my biggest Twitter hit. I mean, it was even bigger than the Trump sign or the Trump tweet. Right, um, you that you convinced your mom to vote Republican. Yeah. I recorded it on video and my mom, ah, awesome. my mom admitted to it and she said, I've been lied to. I was wrong. And you know, I've, I've, I've done my own. And my mom was valedictorian in high school, extremely intelligent, but guess what? She votes with her heart. And she remembers, she only recalls and remembers the time when she used to sit around the dinner table with her family and, you know, her parents, and they used to watch the news and it was whoever, Tom Brokaw, who you name it. And those people, they felt that they were being told the truth. And that transcended into their adult life because they're so busy out trying to make a living, trying to feed their kids, trying to raise their families that they didn't necessarily pay attention to politicians other than the fact that they saw him during, you know, campaign season. And so it wasn't until we had this huge wave of, of younger, um, be it progressives or conservatives that got active in politics that, you know, started to tell their parents, look, what you've been telling me is wrong. What you've been believing is wrong. And all I did was point my mother in the right direction. I let her do the, her research herself. But, you know, I had to poke her every once in a while to make sure she was doing her homework. But, you know, once she did it, I mean, within days, my mom's now a mean master. I mean, she's throwing, you know, Trump photos to all her little old lady friends. I mean, my mom's not that old, but, you know, she's throwing memes at her lady friends and they're getting mad about it, you know, and she's <laughs> fighting back with them. She's all in. So, That's you know, awesome. you're, you're, you're dead on with it. I mean, people have been lied to and look, God bless the folks that believe in the fact that they think that the Democrats are out killing babies and drinking blood and they have underground tunnels in Alaska and there's earthquakes in Antarctica. That's fine. If you want to believe that, that's fine. I'm never going to tell you anything otherwise. But if you ask me what my opinion is, I don't think that happens. Right. Do you think John? Do you think John Podesta is a pedophile? Um, he's the guy from the uh, Hillary administration, right? Yeah, he was the yeah. campaign manager or the chairman of the DNC, I believe. And, uh, <sighs> he had all the WikiLeaks weird emails that with like yeah, emails. yeah. I, 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 again, that's, I'm a, asking you a tough question. That's a hot, no, answer, so I'm sorry. I'm not scared. I'm not scared of anybody. <laughs> I don't give a, I'm going to say what I feel and that's just what it is. You know, I'm one thing about me is if I don't know, I'll say, I don't know. And if I have to answer a tough question like this, I'm always open to critical feedback. I'm always open to, you know, making myself a better person, expanding my mind. And, sure. you know, I think that there's, again, a lot of information out of there that's compelling that, that, you know, is plausible that this guy, you know, is a pedophile. He's somebody that, you know, uh, what's his name? Walter in uh, the big Lebowski would have been uh, chasing him down. Right. So yeah. you know. over the line, this yeah. isn't not man. There are rules. <laughs> That's my father. When I was growing up, That's my father. <laughs> That's awesome. So you've got a big race going up against the longest serving woman in Congress. Is that correct? What's her name? That's correct. Marcy Captor. And um, obviously this is going to be a tough race. She won with 63% of the vote last time, I think. And she's mm -hmm. raised, you know, significant amount of money so far. Not as I've much raised, as I would have thought. I've raised but, more than her than the state of, in the state of Ohio, though. Oh, she's taking money from uh, national donors. Oh, of course. Yeah, she's yeah, a Democrat. Yeah. So, so my question to you is, how are you going to beat her? Because it's going to be tough. 
I'm going to beat her with a tough ground game. I mean, we have a real strong ground game. Um, my staff is 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 comprised of, you know, the number one door to door guy for President Trump in the state of Ohio. Uh, he's a 21 year old guy. Uh, he was part of the Trump team. He got to come here and hang out on my lawn and see all the cool stuff we did. And uh, you know, when the multi millionaire candidates for Senate here in Ohio decided to call, he chose to pass them up because he found out that I was running. Um, you know, my name recognition is very solid. Uh, I can't go to Walmart without one person, if not three or four, saying, dude, there's JR, the Trump guy. Um, you know, I got a pretty cool beard. People recognize that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. kind of built like a, you know, the, the, the typical bearded, tattooed, you know, beer and brats kind of American guy. But, mm-hmm. you know, Monday through Friday, catch me before 4, 8, 4 p.m., I'm in a suit and tie. And right. people know that. And, you know, Marcy's demographic is Toledo, Ohio. All right. Um, I'm born and raised in Toledo, uh, the Polish neighborhood where she claims to, to, to be from. I'm actually from there. Um, I don't know if you if you know who Jamie Farr is, but Jamie Farr was on MASH. He played Klinger on MASH. He's kind of like the celebrity from Toledo. Right. Um, okay. My grandfather and him been friends since childhood. I mean, I got pictures of my grandpa and Jamie in you know, his high school yearbook. Um, you know, the, the, the solid demographic that Marcy has preyed on for years after year after year, they're gone. Those older Western or actually the older European um, folks, they've gone. Urban sprawl has pushed them out of that district. They pushed them out of the city of Toledo. They're scared to live there because the neighborhood is full of crime, full of blight. And you have a, a, a group of, of voters that just vote for Marcy Captor because she's a nice old lady. Well, you know, we plan on changing that dynamic. I'm not going to attack her personally. Um, the reason why is because my grandparents voted for her. Uh, I wouldn't stand in front of my grandmother today and call her an idiot for voting for Marcy Captor. So I'll respect the other voters that, you know, were, were in my opinion, swindled into voting for her. They didn't really have a strong candidate before me. So, um, I mean, there's been a couple, don't get me wrong. The last guy was strong, um, but he didn't have backing from the Republican Party, um, you know. I'm out there fist bumping President Trump. So you can bet your ass that every Republican in the state is looking at me wondering where I came from and what I'm going to do. And that's a positive and a negative. But, you know, for the most part, I have a reputation of, you know, being the kind of guy that just helps anybody. And uh, I still do it even on the campaign trail. And sometimes it hurts. You know, sometimes I help people and you know how it is. Nobody, you know, people are only as friendly with you as, as they need to be as, you know, while they're in your presence. But the minute that they're gone, they forget about the things that they promised. They just take what they ask for and, you know, they're out the door, but um, we're going to beat her through a solid ground game, man. Um, you know, it's like I said, Toledo's my home. I have a lot of friends that live in that area that have, you know, uh, that are of, you know, they're white, they're of the, you know, they're white, black, Mexican, Asian and Arabic. I mean, you know, I have friends, in, in all of those, uh, you know, from all those ethnicities that have actually grown in the community and made something out of themselves, they're business owners or they're influencers or, you know, they own radio stations and they all respect and like me. They're some of the folks that decided to, to vote for Donald Trump and uh, they're ready for a change. Toledo's falling apart. It's been falling apart for years and you know, they, they, that's the biggest area. But the other thing we have going for us is redistricting. You know, Ohio's losing a district because of the 10 year census and you know our 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 um our state senate and is going through that right now so you know so, so what are you going to do differently once you get in um the first thing i'm going to do is actually you know be in be in district and represent people uh marcy captor may be the longest standing congresswoman in history but she has the worst attendance record than any other um 
Congress, men or women, regardless of, of, of their sex. Um, I should say the, they, them, or whatever the heck else they call them now. But um, it's too complicated yeah, for me. Yeah. So you know, Marcy's is not around. Um, I think the last time we saw Marcy's when Joe Biden came in town. I've been to every festival, every fair in this district. Um, I think that that was something for this community. Whether or not I was going to be the, uh, you know, the, the the candidate, I still made a presence there. I think this this district has been um, oppressed through the COVID nineteen mandates. I have friends that lost businesses. I have friends that fought, and they've been fined to the point that you know they're they're wondering how they're going to you know mend themselves financially and recover. And I think the least that uh, Marcy could have done and, and other candidates could have done is actually showed up to these things and showed the community that they, you know, appreciate and respect the fact that they're allowed to be free and they're allowed now to be, you know, unmasked and, and to, uh, you know, gather at, at these, uh, you know, these, these municipal events, but, you know, she didn't, she didn't attend any of those things. And it's, I made sure that the people in the community know, um, the other thing is, you know, we're, we're extremely dependent on our nuclear power plants here. Um, you know, our, our power plant here at Davis-Bessey is one of the best operating nuclear facilities in the world. I've, the, I've had the pleasure of working there for over 10 years. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm very uh, in touch with the, with the, you know, the current staff there. My you know, friend and former boss is the site vice president. Um, you know, a lot of my friends still work there. Uh, Marcy Captor has done nothing at all in the, you know, for that plant in the you know entire time she's been in office. She's um, the only time she shows up is when there's a public, um, you know, a public meeting with the nuclear regulatory commission that, you know, opposes whatever the plant wants to do. That's the only time she's there. Um, you know, that, that is something that's significant to this community because we're facing, you know, a lot of issues here in the state with regulation and deregulation of that market. And, you know, Marcy Captor wants to bring sustainable energy here, obviously, using what she would define as, you know, sustainable energy. And she wants to litter our, our lakefront with, uh, with wind turbines. And, you know, I can actually stand on the floor of the house and I can speak articulately about the fact that the Green New Deal is bullshit. And I can call her out and I can explain to her why companies like Siemens give you turbines for free and why nuclear power is important. And why natural gas and clean coal isn't as sustainable? And well, and all the all the all the turbines froze in Texas. I'm in Texas. Yeah, and and you know Ohio is much colder than Texas. Exactly. So I, I I mean I don't know if there's ways to mitigate that. I'm not an energy expert, especially not green energy expert by any means. So you know maybe it was just an issue with the way Texas was doing it. But yeah, I don't know if you can weatherproof them. But it seems to me that uh, turbines is not a very effective way to generate power in the winter in a Midwest state. They're not, and they're not fossil fuel free. That's the point. They're heavily reliant upon, uh, you know, a preventative maintenance plan. Look, if you're a farmer and you live out in the middle of nowhere and you have the ability to buy a wind turbine and you can, you know, buy a, a generator set and some, you know, battery capacity, um, and you are capable from a maintenance perspective to, you know, fix and maintain your wind turbine, it's probably great to have. But from a municipal standpoint and trying to power, you know, major metro, you know, metropolitan areas like Cleveland, Ohio and Toledo, Ohio, that, that's a failure. It's, it's setting us up, you know, uh, for failure. And not only is it something that, you know, we have to watch from a, you know, a consumer standpoint. I mean, everybody likes to come home and turn the lights on. But the other part of it is, is that nuclear power is exceptionally important to you know, our national defense. 
And, you know, our grid and the stability of our grid is, is something that, you know, our, the, the terrorist outfits, especially from a cybersecurity standpoint, they look to prey on every day. I mean, 2003. China could just turn us off. People don't realize that China could just turn us off. Yeah. In 2003, I mean, uh, you know, you look at the blackout that happened from New York to Ohio. This power plant here is is was rooted in the, in in that uh, power outage, right? And because of that, we now have a a very significant uh, cybersecurity strategy that air gaps almost every major component. So there's really no way for outside you know an outside cyber attack. But it that doesn't mean that they can't uh, you know blow up a transformer yard or blow up a switch yard or you know something like that. But you know without nuclear power, all of these other things become um, on, they, they, they'll find themselves under a different microscope. And I don't think the public, well, I know the public isn't educated on what that would look like, but, you know, I, I know the politicians have heard some of it, but they just don't want to entertain it because it doesn't fit their narrative. So what do you think the biggest threat to America is today? White supremacy? No. Um, government overreach and the failure to adhere to our constitutional rights yeah. um, and, vote, and, and voter fraud. I don't know which one's worse. I mean, because with one, you may have the other. So what are you going to do? What can I, what can a congressman from Ohio do? Um, I, I think the one, the one major issue we have in Congress right now is we have all these people that say that I'm going to go to Congress and fight. I'm going to go do this and fight and fight and fight. Well, you know, fighting only gets like you, Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Fighting only gets you so far. Um, you know, you can fight all you want, but, you know, a king that rules with a sword has 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 no kingdom. And, you know, everybody wants to emulate President Trump. They want to, you know, pretend as if they have this business savvy that they've built multi-million dollar businesses in one of the most, um, you know, hostile in business and, you know, social environments in the United States being New York City. And they they try to adopt his his rhetoric and his his, uh, you know, behaviors. And they think that that's enough and it's not. Um, we need people in Congress that have, you know, critical thinking, the capability to critically think. We need people that can solve complex issues. We need people that can get folks to work together and, you know, strive towards a common goal. Sometimes you have to, you know, work across the line. That doesn't mean you have to, you know, high five the Democrats and watch their kids and go to soccer games with them. But for God's sake, you have to work with them. And, you know, there's something to say about the uh, art of manipulation, right? If you can get them to believe it in something, and if you can convince them that what you're doing is right outside of just taking a hard party line, you might find yourself being more successful. But if you look amongst the ranks of Congress members, we have people that are, you know, born of wealth. They're some rich lobbyist kids. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're being, I don't want to say something that will allow people to tie back to who I'm referring to, but there's some folks of privilege. And when I say that, I mean privilege as in, They've done nothing from a pro professional standpoint, and they surround themselves with uh, with with campaign strategists and uh, and lobbyists and things like that. And all they are is is a, is a, a mantelpiece for a narrative or an agenda. And look, I'm not that. I'm not I'm not that good looking. You know, I'm just I'm just smart enough, and I've navigated my life, and I've I've won. And you know, despite all the odds being against me, you know, I'm a military vet. I'm one of the youngest executives in the nuclear industry. I have a master's degree and, you know, I have the, you know, I have the house I've always wanted. I have everything you can name. I mean, I don't want for anything and uh, I'm taking a six figure pay cut to do this. Right. So 
Um, I'm not looking to go on Fox News and you know hang out with Sean Hannity and smoke cigars. I'm looking to change. I wouldn't mind doing that though. I, I, mean, I would. I'm, I'm not a huge Hannity fan, but I'd have a cigar with him. I, I would too, but that's not going to be my agenda, right? <laughs> right. Um, right. I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to leave this, the Capitol building and you know run to Fox's headquarters. Not insinuating right. people do that. I'm just being facetious, you know. Sure, but sure. but at the end of the day. Um, as a representative, you have to work for the people. You have to want to work for the people. I'm a leader. I'm a servant leader. Uh, I had to be. Um, there's no way to convince a, a person that's been in the nuclear industry you know, 30 years my senior that they should follow this, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed kid, you know, to get some things done. And, and nuclear is not an easy industry to work in. And, you know, I've done everything from being responsible for spent nuclear fuel to cybersecurity. I've built 500,000 square foot buildings from the ground up. You know, you name it, I've done it. And it's always taken a team. I've never been the expert. I've never been the expert. I don't even, you know, I can change my my tire and my oil and my car, and that's about it. Anything else, I go get the right people to help me. And that's the failure of Congress. Everybody thinks that they know, and um, you know they're big on keywords and 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 talking points. But at the end of the day, the most, if not a high percentage, are fundamentally untouched. You know, out of touch with with their communities. The only time you, you see them was when they're trying to raise money. Did you serve in Afghanistan? Yes, I did. How many tours? One. What What year were you there? What years? Uh, 2000, 2002, 2003. Wow. So you served right at, right at the beginning. Yeah. What was that experience like? Um, tough. Tough. I don't like talking about my military experience. Not, 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 that, um, not that we've said too much. I just don't. I don't really like to, I really don't like to divulge a lot of things about the military because, you know, they're, to me, you know, it was a, it was a tough time in life. Um, you know, the military wasn't easy, but in retrospect, it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. And, you know, I do it all over again, but, you know, out of respect of, you know, many things, you know, I, I, you know, my answer to most people when they ask about my military services, you know, I served, I served honorably and, um, I fought for this country for a lot of months over in the middle East. And, uh, so did a lot of people that went with me. And, you know, when I see all these things that are going on today, I mean, if I could, if I could, uh, put my BDUs back on, I wasn't so chubby. I'd, I'd probably, uh, I'd probably try to find a way to do it. What do you think about the way that um, the Biden administration has um, dealt with leaving Afghanistan? I think it's disgraceful. Um, you know, when I look into, you know, the, the, the more you shake the sheets, the more dust you see. And, you know, President Trump had a, you know, pretty well thought out plan to get out of Afghanistan. Um, you know, he had buy-in from, you know, the rank and file. Um, maybe the generals didn't like it because they didn't serve him any political gain, but he had the, he had the rank and file buy-in. Um, and one thing about president Trump is he didn't talk about a strategy. He didn't, he didn't make it public knowledge because he wasn't looking to gain political points from it. He was looking to, you know, um, you know, do his job as the president of the United States. And, um, obviously when you look at, and you want to talk conspiracy, you know, when you not necessarily conspiracy, but I mean, just things that look ironic. I mean, why did we leave $85 billion worth of military weapons and equipment there? Why did we leave roomfuls of $100 bills? Why? I mean, why did we do that? 
Um, you know, last time we wanted to give Iran money, we just flew a plane over there and pretended like it had something to do with, uh, you know, with nuclear arms deal. But the reality of it was, is we find, found a way to pay our masters. And I wouldn't put it past the Biden administration to have, you know, be doing that again, because those weapons aren't going to go to China. Those weapons aren't going to go to Russia. China's not going to show that card on the, on the global stage. They don't want people to know that they're behind terrorism. They'll deny it in, on, on every front. Where it'll go is Iran. Right. Iran will be the first buyer. And I wouldn't be surprised within the next seven days you see these jerks flying Blackhawk choppers. And when they do, you think it's scary now? Wait till the American public sees ISIS or the Taliban flying Blackhawks. That's going to be scary. They won't keep them in the air long, but all they got to do is get on the news. And, you know, China will be over there. They'll, they'll reverse engineer. They'll, they'll steal their they'll, they'll steal the, our IP like they always do. But there's a lot of intelligence when it comes to the, the composition of those Black Hawk choppers. And that, in my mind, is treason in itself when you allow that type of intelligence to just be vacated and left. I mean, right. there has to be a reason. There has to be a reason. I've moved Patriot missiles across countries. I know the protocol that comes with moving those types of things. Look, a Black Hawk chopper is not a Patriot missile, but it's it's treated the same way. And we don't just leave that stuff laying around. Not at all. Now, if right, it was not just unless, it was, not unless you want somebody to have it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you could bet if it was a stripped Blackhawk, there was no intel on there, you know, no, 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 no tech, nothing that 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 we're worried about getting, you know, stolen and, and compromised. Um, they would have said they would have come out and said that because that's a defensive you know mechanism for them. They're going to come out and they'll deny. But they didn't do that. And, you know. Joe Biden showed, I think, where he stands on this yesterday when he couldn't even look up at the podium. I mean, he he's uh, I think he's I think he's unfortunately a pawn for, you know, many things that are, are going on right now. And yeah, what, what, what baffles me is like, I don't understand what his incentive was to do it the way he did it. Like, you know, for a long time, I've said that we should get out of Afghanistan, but the appropriate way. Right. And mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense from an incentive standpoint why he did it so abruptly and recklessly. Yeah. Like, I, I, who, who's buying, like, what's really going the fuck on? Right. There, there's something behind it, right? It, it, there just has to be. And, and this, again, this is leading, again, to, to, to what we just talked about. This is going to create years and forums worth of conspiracy theory. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. The, the, this is going to create a, 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 a giant amount of information that's going to be pandered on the Internet. And you're going to have people believe in, you know that that he did this to to hide a a a, a, a you know a, a sex trafficking ring or something. I mean, this is the kind of uh, rhetoric that's going to come out of this. And yeah, because almost anything makes more sense. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I personally, you know, in my in my in my heart says that you know I want to believe they just panicked, they made a couple mistakes, and it created a domino effect. You know, I want to believe that, but you know. Common sense tells me there's got to be a reason. I don't know what the reason is, but Congress should be demanding answers. And uh, right now, you know, they're just grandstanding on a lot of things and shame on them for doing so. They're using the death of the 13 American soldiers as, you know, an opportunity to stand up on a soapbox. But, you know, they should be re- they, they should be calling members in. they should be calling, you know, on on the Biden administration to do something. They should be. You know, taking these uh, folks to task, and uh, they're not doing that. So, 
Well, one congressman did call for the um, 25th Amendment to be used, I believe, today. I think it was earlier. I can't remember which congressman it was. I know Marjorie Taylor Greene filed articles of impeachment, and I know there were a couple other congressmen that got on, you know, onto that ship. But you know, my point is, is that you know she did that before Marines died, and uh, you know she was on the right path. Um, she's doing, she did, and was doing what I think should be done. You know, but once those Marines died, I mean, the narrative turned to, oh, man, you know, the poor Marines. And, you know, I get it. Don't get me wrong. But um, we don't then stay on the Biden narrative as much as we stay on the let's get everybody the hell out of their narrative. Right. Let's send a, a, a special operations detachment in there that can evacuate these folks. I mean, like Robert O'Neill said, give him nine guys and he'll get everybody out of there. And if you look that dude in the eyes and you don't believe what he's saying. And you're not in the right country because those guys can do that kind of stuff. We have the we have the resources. We just got to do it. Do you think that we could have taken out Osama bin Laden without a full scale invasion of Afghanistan? Wow. In hindsight. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, you know, um, in retrospect, you know, we kind of did. I mean, we right because he wasn't even there. He was in Pakistan, he, right? Yeah, we, he we was hiding in the mountains the whole time. Yeah, that's 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 a that's a good question. I never really thought about that, but because I mean, that was kind of the whole at the time. That was the whole incentive for going there was, hey, this is yeah. where Al Qaeda is. They shelter Al Qaeda. This is how we get Osama bin Laden. We need to invade them, wipe out the terrorist threat, and then yeah. But I mean, we also thing. looked at we also looked at conquering you know the entire regime. Um, the and if you remember back then, it was the deck of cards, right? So, I was very young. Uh, I was only eleven when nine eleven okay. happened. So they had a they had a deck of cards. So you know, um, each member, each leadership member of Al Qaeda was assigned a deck of cards in accordance with their performance or, or their position in Al Qaeda. And um, you know, you'd see the Green Berets, you see the Delta guys, you see the SEALs. They they'd all have a deck of cards, and you know, it was it was their way of uh, remembering when they would see people. You know, because one of the one of the things that you do in the Middle East when you have nothing better to do is you play cards. Right. So that was the U.S. military's way of, you know, reminding us of who the bad guys were. So the face um, cards were the terrorists. And yeah. people were playing with that. Card. That's pretty yeah. smart. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was very effective. And, oh, um, you know, we, all should, the, we should make an alternative one where it's all the enemy of the people. But domestic enemies. That's a good stuff. idea. That would sell a good idea. To a lot of vets. It's a great idea. But, yeah, it it, it, uh, it also, you know, um, it made our, you know, our, our uh, allied forces you know, smart on who we were looking for too, mm -hmm. but you know, we, we did a really good job. Your deck? No. Oh no. Uh, uh I wish I did, but I don't. I had a couple at one time. I lost, uh, I lost, I, I lived in a, um, when I first got out of the service, um, and I started working at the power plant here, I moved into an older house by the plant and I had a fire in my garage and, uh, it burnt like a lot of my military stuff. Um, a lot of my cameras, a lot of my photos, a lot of my, you know, my coins. I have a couple of the coins left, but, you know, all my BDUs got ruined except for one pair. So I lost that because I had my big bags, my big, you know, sea bags, all that just, yeah. you know, up all in the All the vets I know keep that stuff in the garage. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I got – and the fire wasn't that big, but it, it was, you know, obviously that's the most flammable stuff up there. And uh, right. it took it out, so – yeah, I don't have a lot of the stuff that I wish I still had. I don't have. So where can people find you to support your campaign? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at JR Majewski. You can find me on most forms of social media. Um, 
you know, I just I try to stay the same with the same moniker. It's at J.R. Majewski. My website is J.R. Majewski, the number four, congress.com. I'm on YouTube. I got some pretty cool videos out there and, you know, pretty much anywhere. So that's another thing. If you look at this, those QAnon articles, they have these uh, little little videos and snippets of me from TikTok. And, uh, you know, I've had I had one TikTok and it was called J.R. Majewski. Well, this TikTok that they say was mine is some other name, like something Patriot or something. So essentially what people were doing is they were clipping my videos and putting them on TikTok. And posting it, yeah. Yeah, and they were putting like these QAnon hashtags with them, right? Oh, so they rebranded you on accident inadvertently. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So 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 um yeah, I've I've you know I've (laughs) I've said since the first day, it's like I'm not an anonymous person. My name is you know, my name, my whole my whole uh you know position on standing up and supporting President Trump was to be who I am. I'm not anonymous. And, uh, you know, I respected the fact that I didn't have anonymity when I was online. I, I, uh, behaved in a manner that, you know, was, uh, commensurate with wanting to maintain a reputation. I didn't have, uh, you know, some fake picture and some fake name. Everybody knew where I lived. The, the New York daily news put my address in the newspaper, you know? So, um, yeah, I've never hid, never will. And, uh, you know, all the other crap is just, you know, people that uh you know want to hold us down when we when we try doing the right things well thank you so much for coming on the show it was a real no pleasure and honor to have you i wish you the best of luck in the campaign if there's anything i can do for you let me know and i'll, I'll be there for you all right brother i appreciate it appreciate it Yeah, absolutely hang tight i'm gonna end the stream and then we'll uh, do a debrief all right